Some of you will have been here four weeks ago, others of you won't have been. Uh, we had a friend, a guest speaker from the United States, his name was Chad Norris, and uh, it was an interesting Sunday. Uh, Chad has a very significant level of prophetic gifting, and uh, is also quite unpredictable, as if you watch on the website you'll discover. But the day before that Sunday we met, um, he spent some time, a number of hours actually, with our national vineyard leadership team in the afternoon and then in the evening with our local senior leadership team here at Trent. And he prophesied over every individual um, there over a period of many hours. And just to tell you one encouraging story among many, many of you will know here Paul Bevan. He's been our business director for many years and his wife was also present. His wife's name is Dee. And as uh, Chad looked at her, he was trying to work out what he was seeing. He said, I don't really understand, but I see you, your family, your family, like over 200 in your family. The impression being like you had more than 200 siblings was the impression. And um, he couldn't figure out how that could even be possible. I mean, how many families do you know that are over 200, right, in this country or in in any country for that matter? Um, I doubt there's more than one in the United Kingdom. The interesting thing is that Dee's family had more than 200. She was fostered, and her, she and her mother were on television recently talking about the fact they'd fostered well over 200 children through their time. So that was pretty unique. Uh, you know, they're, they're unique as a family, and this word was clearly revelation. And then from that, he went on to prophesy and uh, talk about the future. And he had the impression, I think you're going to replicate something that happened to you. She'd been fostered. And uh, Paul and Dee, as it happened, had just been approved to foster. And that week, they had agreed to foster their first child, who they were going to be receiving just five days later. So incredibly confirming. And uh, he said, I I nearly actually said you were going to foster. I didn't want to be so presumptuous. But this was a, a true confirmation of what they were doing. And then he also talked about the process of some things in her past that have been healed and sorted and she's come through and the Lord's going to use this and their family home's going to be used and it was really quite extraordinary. And uh, Paul said to me, following that, you know, someone from several thousand miles away who doesn't know you, talking about the journey of her life over decades could only be God. It's beyond coincidence. In this church, we believe that God speaks. We believe he spoke as does every church around the world, but not every church believes that he actually still speaks. Um, You know, the Bible is essentially a kind of recording of what he spoke thousands of years ago, but we believe that God speaks live as well. And you may have heard, uh, you know, like at the end of worship today, you may have heard one of our leaders sense something that they believe that God is saying to us in that moment. And there's a microphone at the sound desk for that use. Or after the talk, sometimes uh, somebody might say something we think uh, God wants to particularly say, particularly say to particular people. It may have been something in the content of the talk, or it may be something fresh and completely unrelated. And often you'll hear those words and never get the feedback, but often the people described are present, come up for prayer. Some of them uh, have amazing experiences. Um, And occasionally, someone on the stage will have specific words for an individual. Aside of Sunday services, there are loads of opportunities throughout the week for anyone to give and receive prophetic words. So we encourage it in our small groups. We encourage it uh, uh, conversations, emails, 
prophetic words um, are happening all over the life of the church. We are a church who believe that God speaks. Now, we all have different experiences of prophecy or God speaking. Uh, and I know that some of you hear from God often. You have a very sort of vibrant connection with God speaking to you. And maybe you share those words with others perhaps regularly. For others of you here, the idea that God speaks, like God speaks to you, that is entirely new. Some of you may have watched others. You've actually seen it happen, that someone seems to be receiving something from God and they've stepped out and they've shared something they believe God is saying. And you've thought, well, well, <laughs> okay, mate, probably, but it really is not for me. That's like for any prophetic types. I don't know what a prophetic type really looks like, but it's not my kind of type. And, uh, you know, someone who's more creative than me, clearly more spiritual than me, more imaginative than me, and, and probably have a way with words. It kind of comes naturally to them, but not for me. And you may have even asked yourself, would God ever speak to me? Or, or indeed, has God ever spoken to me? And I would say that the answer to that, if you're a follower of Jesus, is yes, absolutely. He speaks, he speaks this way, another, we may not perceive it, but yes, he is speaking a lot more than we're tuning in and hearing. And this morning, and again in three weeks' time, when I next speak, we're going to look at the gift of prophecy, what it is, and how we can all grow in it. So what do I mean by prophecy? Well, the Bible, when it speaks about prophecy, it's essentially talking about a message from God, a, a revelation, something revealed by God to a person. And it's like God speaking live through us. It's not the, the actual words of God, you know, infallibly, but it's an impression or something like that which we speak in our own words. And while it is true to say that some people are particularly gifted in this area, the Bible says that hearing from God is not only the privilege of a few prophetically gifted people. You know, it's the privilege of all Christians. If we go back into the Old Testament, which is the first majority half of the, the Bible, uh, Moses led the people of Israel uh, out of Egypt and into the promised land, or to the edge of it anyway, and he had a particularly close relationship with God. He really was the one who God spoke through, and the whole nation looked to Moses and was like, okay, well, that's what God says, including the Ten Commandments, and uh, that was fine for them, just have one person. And then the Lord kind of upset the apple cart, apple cart a bit by anointing 70 others with the gift of prophecy. And some of the people there were alarmed around Moses because they thought, no, that's Moses' role to be the prophet, the one who hears God. And he says this in Numbers 11, verse 29. Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. That was his desire about 1300 to 1500 B.C. Later, the day of Pentecost, the day the church began 2,000 years ago, as Peter addressed the crowd, he referred to the prophet Joel, who's in the Old Testament and been prophesying about what would one day happen. And this is what Peter says in Acts 2, 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Great news for us is those days referred to by Joel, then referred to by Peter, are these days. We are in those days, the days between Christ's ascension 
when Jesus, having been raised from the dead, then ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, between then and the second coming, the return of Christ. So the gift of prophecy is something which is open to all of us. We live in those days. But not only that, then Paul, one of the early church leaders who wrote a number of the letters in the Bible, New Testament, he uh, wrote to the Corinthian church, urging them, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And then the last verse in that chapter says, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. So personally, I want to listen to Paul's words, and I'm eager to grow in this gift. And I see people around me who are operating fluently in this gift, and they inspire me to develop it more. Among all the gifts that are listed in the Bible that God gives to individuals for a moment, um, why does Paul place so much emphasis on this one? Why is prophecy so important? Well, for one thing, God wants to speak to us. Think for a moment about the most important and influential person alive today, who that would be for you, the most important and influential person. Now imagine that that person wanted to speak with you and give you some guidance and give you some encouragement. I'm sure that most of us would jump at the chance of that, okay? What the Bible's telling us is that that's precisely what prophecy is. The most important being in the universe, God, wants to speak to us and speaking directly into our lives. And Paul's saying, don't miss out on the invitation. God wants to speak. In his book, Prophesy, a friend of mine, Bruce Collins, writes this. While knowing Jesus personally is the most important reality of all, there are surely few other things more important than being directly connected to his heart and purpose for our lives. Prophecy is important. Sometimes God speaks to us directly about our own situations, things that he wants to do. He speaks in prophetic ways. And sometimes he speaks to other people for someone else. That's often the way it works, that he'll speak to someone and they would encourage and strengthen someone else or give them uh, direction or encouragement. So let me give you just one little example. Some of you will have heard before about God directly speaking prophetically through something in the physical that speaks of the invisible. Eleven years ago, the autumn of 2007, we were just in the lead-up towards building the extension to our building, which used to finish just above the drums. That was the end of the building, and we extended another 100 feet across the car park. And in the process, we bought more land. You know, we have a number of buildings now, but we bought all that land. And uh, we'd already had a gift day to buy the land, but we were still short of well over a million pounds. And unless people gave that we faced the potential of starting the extension, building the shell, the structure, all the steel work, putting walls on it, but actually having, having to stop before we could actually extend our auditorium into that space or build any rooms, offices, or anything else. And so, you know, count the cost before you, like, do that. The Bible talks about it in Proverbs. Otherwise, you're going to look like a fool because you've presumed on the future. So we're, like, over a million pounds short. So I was just praying... Lord, I believe the timing is now. We're supposed to extend this building, but will the money come in? People have already given millions towards extension. I just can't see how this is going to be possible, that it'll happen. Now, I woke up early one morning, 
And very unlikely, I got out of bed. I hate getting up in the morning, and so generally I would just try to go to sleep again. But I'm awake early, and I just felt prompted to get out of bed and go downstairs and pray. So I sat down in our conservatory on the sofa. I just began to pray, and as I opened my eyes, I looked out of the window at our water feature in the garden, and I was stunned to see a huge gold jar right next to the two clay ones. So here's a picture of it here. You can see there are a couple of clay pots on the water feature. And as though part of the arrangement of pots, there's this huge gold one. A few minutes later, it was gone. And here's the view then without the gold jar. So the view without the gold jar and the view with it. Those were taken just minutes apart. And as I saw this and realized that it wasn't really there, I felt the Lord say, the money is there. I will provide it. And I quickly realized what then had caused the gold jar to be on the water feature at that moment, that at that minute, at that time of year, and at that time early in the morning, the sun was shining into the conservatory at the exact angle to shine through a gold-colored glass vase elsewhere in the room. And as it was lit up, its reflection appeared in the window pane that I was looking out of. So I took this shot, which explains the phenomena. Do you see it there? The gold jar was there. And then it was gone. Now, some people might see that as a coincidence. And these things are all always according to your faith, be it unto you, as it regards prophecy. It could be a coincidence. But the circumstances which led to it happening, I think, were just beyond coincidence. To have woken early on that day, gone to sit in the exact spot where this image would appear at the exact time it did, while I was praying about the exact subject that it spoke into, you know, please confirm the money. And I received it as the Lord speaking to me. And encouraged by what I believe to be the Lord speaking, we pressed on with the building project and everything we needed was given. We'll talk more in three weeks' time about how God speaks using things that we see, probably with quite a lot of stories. Or it could be that um, God speaks to others, not to ourselves like that, but to others, and just with an impression, just a thought, a message. Oh, I'm just thinking about that person, I'm praying for them, and I just need to let them know something. And uh, four years ago, Johnny and Meg, a couple here at Trent, were asking God about their future, and they'd gone on holiday and were really feeling anxious because they were unclear about what God was saying. They were struggling to enjoy their time away. And while they were away, two people sent them words, like prophetic words. This may just something impression they got. One from someone they knew quite well and another who they knew very little. These people were from two different countries, and they didn't know each other. And both words said the same thing. Do not worry, God's in control. I don't know whether that's an exact quote of both, but essentially they said that. And Johnny told me, I've reread those words often. They relaxed me, reminded me to trust God and of God's affirmation. So sometimes God will speak to us and sometimes he'll speak through others. And when sometimes he really wants to make a point, he'll have two people say the same thing confirming each other. So prophecy is important because God speaks to us, and prophecy is important because God speaks through us. Much of the letter of 1 Corinthians and the chapter particularly of 14 focuses on the use of the gift of prophecy in the church. And so Paul says in verse 3 there, those who prophesy speak to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. That's the primary purpose of prophecy. Sometimes there'll be a warning or a predictive element to it, but generally a word should be strengthening to the person receiving it, encouraging and comforting um, to build people up. 
Many of you will have been strengthened and encouraged and comforted when you've heard someone give a prophecy. Now, it may be like generally here on a Sunday. A word has been given uh, generally. And it's really spoken to you personally. It's as though the Lord arranged for you to be here that day because that word was directly speaking into your life. God is omniscient. That's a rather big Christian word, which means he knows everything, all information. He's aware of everything. And on occasions, he chooses just to reveal a little bit to someone else, one of his followers, that they couldn't know by natural means. That's known as a word of knowledge. Now, prophecy and words of knowledge overlap. They're both forms of revelation, of God revealing something to one of his followers for the purpose of blessing. A few months ago, it was in March, at the end of one of the ministry times, I got up here and I just had an impression that there was a woman called Sue who had shoulder pain, I think in a particular area of her shoulders. And someone called Sue, sitting over there, responded and received prayer for her shoulder. And all the pain went completely, instantly. And a few weeks ago, I received an email from her where she said this, I'd had the shoulder pain since Christmas, and after having prayer, the pain had completely gone and hasn't returned since. So on one level, that's a word of knowledge which speaks into a physical condition that's prayed for and that's sorted. That's absolutely wonderful. But there's more to it because she said, before you got up and said that, I'd asked the Lord to give someone a word of knowledge for me in a room full of hundreds of people. Give someone a word for me to assure me that he had his hand upon my son who was about to undergo surgery to remove a tumor. And Sue told me that after receiving the word, her son's condition worsened, and they had been through an extremely stressful time. But throughout that time, she held on to the fact that God had heard her prayer that day and answered it. And Sue said, without that reassurance that I had asked for, I wouldn't have had the confidence or strength needed to help my son through this scary time. So it's encouraging and strengthening when we need that. Sometimes prophecies confirm things and this is often the case, that the person's already thinking. So, for instance, when we, Debbie and I and our two children, moved to Nottingham to start this church 22 years ago, only a handful of people knew, and we had to keep it a secret for another week from anyone. And so it was a pretty scary decision for us. We were four of us coming. That was the entire team at that point. Six others did join us from London, but we didn't know who would join us and we were giving up the best church we'd ever been in we we're giving up the best job you know we'd ever had we we're giving up the best house we'd ever lived in giving up you know there's going to be distance with friends and we went to the national leaders conference which was down in Bournemouth at the time we now host it here and a number of people came up to us one of them came up to us and said I've just had this this picture of the ark of the covenant which is a symbol in the old testament of the, the where God's glory was focused the glory of God going up north traveling up the motorway and you're going with it does that mean anything to you and of course it did uh, we couldn't say anything to them at the time to encourage them but those sorts of things someone just seeing a visual image of something that was about to happen many of you will know cat and mary who were medical students when they came to trent uh, became pediatricians and they were praying through whether to move to india to work with babies and children and someone here said i see you next to a cot working with small children and I see you going away for a long time and that was a great confirmation they've been praying and like is this before we move and they've now been in India for 11 years and God is using them in the most incredible way especially with children and babies 
So prophecies can be extremely encouraging. But Paul gives guidance on how the gift of prophecy should be exercised in the church and gives us an indication that just because someone gives you a prophetic word doesn't mean it's necessarily a prophetic word. It may be accurate, it may not be. It may be mainly accurate with a bit of them. It may be not very accurate, a lot of imagination. So he says we need to weigh these things. Don't just take them on gullibly, but weigh them. So in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, it says two or three prophets, or you could say prophetically gifted people, should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. That's just your heart saying, is that the Lord? I mean, does that resonate with my spirit? Is that the Lord or is that not? In another letter, this time to the Thessalonians, Paul wrote this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 20, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Some people presumably were thinking, oh, you know, sometimes they're wrong and so we'll just disregard this. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, same as weighing them. Hold on to what's good and reject whatever's harmful. So there's a weighing process. The message translation there says, don't suppress the spirit and don't stifle those who have a word from the master, which is Eugene Peterson's word there, for the Lord. You have a word from the Lord, don't, don't stifle them. On the other hand, don't be gullible. Check out everything and keep only what's good. So when we hear someone giving what is known as a prophetic word, we shouldn't just receive it as God speaking, but we should carefully weigh it, hold on to what's good, and let go with what doesn't really resonate with us. Wayne Grudem in his book, The New Testament Gift of Prophecy, describes prophecy as spontaneous revelation reported in human words. So God is perfect, we are not. So when God speaks through us, it may be mostly God with a bit of us, or it may be mostly us, perhaps with a bit of God. So we need to just put it through a grid. Is this glorifying to God? Is this, uh, does it contradict scripture in any way? Is it encouraging? Uh, and if it's a word of direction, before I suddenly give up my job and move to the other part of the world to be a missionary, does this resonate with people like my small group leader or people around me? Does this sound like it is the Lord? Check it with other people. And does it resonate with me? Does it kind of just sit, that feels right? And if the answer is yes to all those questions, it may well be the Lord speaking. I want to finish by looking at a passage from the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, which gives us a great hint, or a few great hints actually, about hearing God speak. Now, Hosea was a prophet. He was someone that God spoke through um, to the nation. He lived about 730 B.C., and he was called to speak some pretty strong words to the nation of Israel because they were misbehaving. But basically, they were hard-hearted towards God. And God spoke through Hosea to warn them that unless Israel repented, turned around, came back to God, that the Assyrians would conquer them and take them into captivity. God was going to allow an enemy to take them and you know, oppress them. And a decade later, they refused to heed the warning. 722 BC, that's exactly what happened. Hosea 9 verse 7 says this, the days of punishment are coming, the days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this, because your sins are so many and your hostility so great, the prophet is considered a fool, the inspired man, a maniac. The conclusion the people of his day had drawn was that the prophetic was a foolish thing, that Hosea, as a prophet, he was a fool, a maniac, someone, you know, who's just foolish at best and probably a maniac. You resist a maniac, someone who's really crazy mad would be dangerous. And so they were just saying, stay away from the prophetic types. 
And uh, some today might say the same thing. You know, if you said, um, I believe God spoke to me. Some people might look at you as if you're a little foolish, to say the least. Hopefully wouldn't think you're a maniac and dangerous, but they might think, hmm, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, God speaks to you, yeah. And sometimes we will feel foolish as we take risks in sharing prophetic words. And sometimes the person we're talking with may think we are indeed a bit weird, you know, believing that God, the God of the universe is actually speaking to us specifically about something. This time last week, I was traveling back from the United States, been at a little training conference thing, and uh, where prophecy was part of it, and I thought, you know, I probably should. I know my wife, Debbie, she's brilliant. Every time she sits on a plane, if I can possibly get the window seat and have her between me and another human being, that's perfect, because it means I don't have to talk to anyone. I'm not in, I'm not in uh, selfless mode when I'm on an airplane. I just want to sleep, have my headphones in, or watch a movie, or do something, anything but interact with a human being. I'm now without Debbie. There's no one between me and the guy next to me. And I'm also feeling prompted that I'm supposed to eagerly desire this gift, so I probably should press in and take a risk. So I'm sitting there, and uh, I'll call this guy George. His name sounds a bit like that, but I won't use his real name. And I've just sort of started a conversation with him. And I was just asking the Lord, Lord, do you have something for him? Is there something I should, would you prompt me? And I just felt drawn visually to his watch. And I thought, I wonder whether the make of his watch might tell me something and I thought I, I wonder it might be a Seiko and the phrase if you seek me and you seek me with all your heart I will be found by, by you says the Lord and I thought that, that may be something maybe he's seeking the Lord maybe he's maybe he's on a bit of a journey and this could be a moment so I uh, it, what did it happen he um, during the conversation anyway just to say he didn't seem to be seeking anybody, certainly not God. Um, he never really asked me about what I did. I learned all about his business travels and everything else. But he didn't seem to be. And as we, um, I mentioned I've been to a church in the U.S., he wasn't at all interested. So clearly he didn't seem like a bit of a seeker, but I thought, okay, well, let's see. So I asked him about, you know, how are you doing with, like, time pressures, um, work and family and work-life balance and all that? And he's like, great. Awesome, you know, everything's working well, business is going well, family's great. Uh, okay, so I'm not quite getting in here. Um, so then we broke off and for some time, and now I'm thinking, how, Lord, do I... I've just got to go with the seat of the Lord with all your heart. There's obviously some distance between him and God, and you want him to press in. So I thought, now, how do I broach the subject? So rather clumsily, not knowing at all how to get it, I just said, what do you think about church? And uh, he said... Um, I go to, I'm Catholic, uh, I do go to a church, don't really believe, like my wife does, but um, he said he feels that God isn't interested in him, that he's not that important. And uh, so I said, it seems to me like you feel that God's very distant. And he said, yeah, absolutely. He said, I think it's arrogant for anyone to think otherwise, that God would be interested in them and interested in answering their prayers or anything like that. So I said, well, for what it's worth, this is what I felt God wanted me to say to you. If you seek the Lord, he wants to be found by you. If you seek him with all your heart, you'll find he's not distant. He's actually interested in all the details of your life. And he does want you to connect with him. And if you'll reach out towards him, if you'll seek him, I believe he'll meet you in a very special way. And he kind of grunted instead. <laughs> He was really unresponsive, but he remained friendly, and we talked about a whole lot of other business-related issues. 
as the journey continued. And I think he probably considered me a fool. Uh, at least he didn't resist me like I was a maniac, but he probably just thought, well, I've sat next to this crazy Christian who thinks he hears from God. Um, and, and who knows? In fact, you know, was my sensing the Lord's invitation to seek him prophetic? I, don't, I just don't know. Uh, you know, it may have been my imagination. But uh, it can't have done any harm, and who knows whether at some point he will be reminded of that conversation. You may be going through a crisis or something, and he's, I sat next to that guy, and he said, if I seek, and maybe you never know uh, what could happen on his journey. It could be a little step in his connecting with God. But um, it's not my responsibility to know whether that meant anything. It's not a very awesome story. I can't tell you that he like said, oh, what must I do to be saved? And I led him to Christ. No, he's like, this guy's slightly, um, mm-mm. I was just being obedient to what may have been a nudge from God, and I can simply leave it with him. So sometimes it is, feels foolish to you, and it may look foolish to other people, being prophetic. The thing I want to draw your attention to as we close in this text is the Hebrew parallelism that uh, Hosea uses. He says, the prophet is considered a fool, the inspired man, a maniac, or in some translations, the inspired person, or anyone who is inspired because, of course, it's not just men, you know, inspired men who hear God speaking. And you use the word prophet and the phrase inspired person referring to the same person. It's a, a use of parallelism. And in doing so, he hints at something important about being prophetic. To be prophetic is to be inspired, to be inspired person, okay? And I immediately, when I think of an inspired person, think of someone like Elijah in the Old Testament. There he's on the mountain, his long hair flowing back, his wind blowing in the beard, he's got his staff and he's like... His cloak going up, uh, inspired man. But um, that's not actually a very accurate picture. You know, some people review Elijah a bit like that. We've had Superman, Spider-Man, Batman. We now have inspired man, this character. You can get little plastic models of him. But how does God actually speak to Elijah? Well, in 1 Kings 19, 11, it tells us that the Lord appears and he's like, is God going to speak this way? No, he doesn't seem to be. And this way, no. It says, the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The Revised Standard Version says, a still, small voice. And that's how God usually speaks, in a whisper. It's a little nudge. It's not a really clear voice from heaven. It's a just a whisper. And a whisper is an intimate form of communication. You can't hear a whisper at a distance. You have to almost be touching the person in order to hear them. And when we whisper something to another person, the chances are that we know them really well. We're comfortable being that close to them. The Hebrew word for inspired here is ruah, which can also be interpreted spirit or breath. And Hosea's imagery of a prophet is someone who God has breathed on. You know, when you're having an intimate conversation with someone, perhaps you're sharing something personal with a friend at a meeting like this. You might lean over towards your friend so that others nearby can't hear, and you might whisper to them. And as you do, they may feel your breath brush across their face. That's what the description Hosea uses could be interpreted to mean a person who is so closely and intimately interacting with God that they feel his breath on them. They are breathed on by God. That really is the inspired man or woman. It's not about being a spiritual superhero. The well-developed gift of prophecy results from intimate communication. Revelation 
is a result of intimate relationship. Debbie and I uh, got together, started going out together nearly 40 years ago, and I know her, and she knows me really well. But if we go through a week or two of being over busy, not finding time to talk or listen to each other, it's not long before I don't really know how she is and what she's thinking, what she's processing. And I need to make the effort to carve out some time with her, uh, aside of the distractions of life, and listen to her and talk stuff over with her. And our relationship with the Lord really is just like that. So much of the time we don't hear what God might be saying to us because life is just too noisy. We're not still enough and small enough to hear that still, small voice. With the busyness and noise of everyday lives, we're deaf to God's voice because it's only when we're still and listening that we will hear his whisper. No matter how long we've known the Lord, we know what he's thinking much clearer when we've spent some time with him. And that's where we become inspired men and women. To be prophetic in its truest sense is not to be a fool or a maniac, but to be an intimate friend of God. Our God is not distant, and he's here with us all the time, longing for us to turn to him through the week to ask his opinion, ask for his thoughts, his help in things that concern us, and waiting to speak to us if we'd only sit still long enough for him to, for us to listen. Um, being attentive to the little nudges and prompts that we might get, you know, which are so easily lost. But if we think, is that you? Oh, I just noticed something interesting. Is that you? It may well be. And my prayer for this church is that we would eagerly desire this gift, the gift of prophecy, and press into our relationship with God, that we would, all of us, grow in intimacy with him. That we, that's where we'll hear his whisper. That's where we'll hear that still, small voice. That's where we'll be breathed upon.